Today's Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. Christian humility. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Christ, if any affection and mercy, <coughs> make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intended on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but humility considered others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the like, likeness of human, humanity, and, we, and he had come as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, a special welcome to uh, Heath's family and friends. It's, um, it's great to be with you. Give me five seconds because I am, my tablet has gone all funny. <laughs> of course it has. Mike, Mike, where are you? There we go. Okay, well, I came, I saw, I conquered. Uh, anyone know who said this? Yes, I heard someone whisper Caesar, Julius Caesar, probably the most famous ruler of ancient Rome. How about this one? I love honour more than I fear death. It's even trickier. It's Brutus, the man who killed him. Anyway, it's, if we're honest, it, it sounds a little bit arrogant, um, but this is from a different time. In ancient Rome, boasting about your accomplishments, speaking well of yourself was a pretty normal thing to do. And, and when I think of ancient Rome, I think of gladiators and they're putting their lives on the line for honour and glory. And, and this is the sort of place where we find Paul and the church in first century Philippi, in an honour-shame society. Your goal back then was to bring honour to yourself and to your family, and the worst thing you could do was bring shame to yourself and your family. And an honour-shame society like ancient Rome leaves little room for humility. It wasn't something that was valued or aspired to. And the selfish ambition that Paul mentions in the passage here, I think would have been deeply ingrained in the way that people lived. It was 
part of their life. Um, and so the Bible's teachings would have been completely radical and countercultural to the church in Philippi. Fast forward 2,000 years, um, and things have definitely changed. Jesus' teaching, I think, has transformed the way we think and what we value as a society. Um, so I've got some more modern quotes here. Hopefully, um, you can get some of these. I'm unquestionably, undoubtedly, the greatest human artist of all time. That's all right, it's Kanye West, the rapper. Probably not surprised. Um, How about this one? With great power comes great responsibility. Yes, yes. Actually, before that it was Voltaire, the French writer, but you're right, I know it from Spider-Man. Well, Uncle Ben says it to Spider-Man, and I'm, I'm guessing, if you're like me, you like the second quote more than the first. I sure hope you do. It, it's a big change from ancient Rome. You're like, yes, there will, there will be, be boasting and selfishness, but on the whole, we like our friends and our sports heroes and even our superheroes, like Spider-Man, um, to use their powers for good and not to boast. I mean, it seems like uh, most of us, are Christian or, or, or not Christian, um, are, are on the Bible's side here, Humility and service are seen as virtues, as good things. Um, and that has led to so much good being done in our world, but it, it doesn't quite make our hearts perfect. We're, our hearts are, are not perfect because of this. Um, and so there's a bit of a danger, in fact, there's a big danger, that under the surface, um, underneath our, our outward humility, that we often find our selfishness still lurks and our desire for glory hasn't actually gone away Um, And that has so often been true in my life, and I wonder if you've seen it in your own life as well. So my hope today for all of you and myself is that you would look away from yourself and instead look to Jesus. Look away from yourself and worship Jesus, and you will find lasting joy. So open with me to Philippians 2 verse 1, if you've got a Bible, and let's start to unpack our passage together. Now, you might see an an if-then or a therefore, depends on what what version you're using, but either way, it's a good reminder to stop um, and remember that we're in the middle of Paul's letter. He's in the middle of urging the Philippians to stand firm and rejoice together through suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so, in verse 1, Paul is, is once again, he's still urging all of God's people, he says, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, to be united. He's saying, If you've found encouragement in Christ, be united. If you've been comforted by His love, be united. If you have the same Holy Spirit as one another, be united. If you have affection and mercy for one another, be united. What what is the the purpose of this? Well, Paul says in verse 2 that their unity makes his joy complete. Um, Back in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul's desire is to hear that they are standing firm, standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And this is a sign of your salvation from God. Paul can rejoice because the Philippians' unity in the Holy Spirit is a sign from God of their salvation. And verse 2 shows us um, how that unity comes about. He says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, I I love to play charades or articulate with my wife because we know how each other thinks and and we can guess the words really quickly and and we can win. Um, No, no, it's not about winning. (laughs) But our our whole marriage is is not like that, though. Sometimes we're just chatting or we're we're trying to pick a TV show and we are not on the same wavelength at all. 
Um, and if, if we can't agree as a husband and wife, it, it's, how can a whole church have the same thinking? It seems tough, but Paul is looking at the big picture here of having our thinking and our desires shaped by the same Spirit that is given to all who trust in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit might not tell me what TV show to watch, but the Bible promises that God's Spirit will teach us, that it will remind us of the Gospel, and it will help us to put off our old desires and put on the desires of the Spirit. So we put on God's desires and join in His purposes. Okay? And, and God is all about the union of His people to the glory of God, and we join that purpose. So imagine a soccer or a netball team, whatever your thing is, whether it's the best in the world, your favourite team, or the under-sixes. Um, whatever team it is, they are going to be more unified and more successful if they follow their coach's instructions. That is, if they use the same formation, uh, if they play in the same style, if they, they think alike... And obviously, if they share the same purpose to score goals, stop the other team scoring goals. Um, and as Christians, our unity can only come from being transformed by the same spirit, by having the same coach, um, that is God dwelling in us. Now, Paul's really selling it to the Philippians. It sounds nice, all this talk of love and joy and being united with one another. And who wouldn't want that? But then out comes this, this warning, this obstacle to unity, and it's a big ask. Verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. I hope you can see... Sorry, now's a good time to clarify the Bible's definition of humility. It says, consider others above yourselves. Look to the interests of others. Humility is not about our self-esteem. It's not about our modesty. In fact, it's not about us at all. Uh, it's about others and looking to others. So I hope you can see how, how selfish ambition, that is wanting, wanting glory and achievement for yourself, gets in the way of unity. I think back to your soccer team. If the coach's plan is to, to pass one-twos around the defender, um, work together, but Cristiano over here wants to go it alone, pull out all the, all the fancy tricks um, and score the goal himself, then is there unity? Not, not anymore. Um, and in the same way, if we start making decisions out of conceit, the Bible says, that is, sort of, we want to be the bee's knees, um, then our purposes and desires have changed and they're no longer God's but ours. And we're not united anymore if we no longer have the same goals as our coach of the team and, and we're no longer striving for God's gospel for the sake of him and his people. Now, this is a, this is a really high bar to set, isn't it? It feels to me like a, a, a pole vault bar, world record, 10 metres high, and I'm running in and I've got a pool noodle. Okay, it, it is, um, <laughs> it's tough. And I think Paul wants us to feel a little bit stuck and a little bit in need of a new pole, no, a, a new way to live. Um, because he's about to point us away from ourselves to our answer in Jesus. First though, I want to share some of the mistakes that, I, that I've made and still do when it comes to humility. For a long time, I would have thought of myself as a humble person, Maybe I didn't make a big deal of my achievements, and I didn't like to talk about myself, but, but, but underneath that, the reason was that I really, really cared what people thought of me. And my vision of humility was really all about me and how I looked. Can you see the irony here? I, I wanted to be seen as successful, but, but not proud. I wanted to be competent, but, but not selfish. Um, I wanted to seem helpful, but, but not a show-off. 
and, and oh, I don't, maybe I gave that image, but it doesn't matter because inside was, was this mixture of pride and envy. Um, I was comparing myself with others or, or against this standard that I had sort of set for myself that I thought I should be achieving. And when I succeeded, uh, it felt great, but I was, I was proud. And when I didn't succeed, I was, I was envious of others. Um, and this was not a joyful or restful way to live. Um, I enjoyed helping others, but, but sometimes I did it half-heartedly, or, or I, I did do it, but I was, I was a bit bitter if it cost me success or recognition. Um, so many times I, I didn't share the gospel faithfully because I was focused on people would think of me. Um, and that's really sad. I, I hadn't let go of the selfish ambition that Paul warns us of. You see, when our world values humility, which I think it does, but our, our hearts are still selfish, then we, we learn to craft this image of humility that, that still seeks to glorify us. And it's hard to spot, um, especially in ourselves. Now, yeah, again, if any of that describes you, it, we can feel a bit stuck. You feel like, oh, I've tried to be humble and it, it, it hasn't worked. Um, you're not alone and you are not stuck because the antidote Jesus gives us is to look away from ourselves and look to him, to be captivated by his, his beauty and humility um, and to worship him. And from our, our worship of Jesus, our thankfulness um, will flow the joy of, of self-forgetfulness, of, of looking away from ourselves and serving one another. So let's have a look at the second half of our passage that we might be captivated by Jesus and look away from ourselves. So in verse 5, Paul invites us to adopt the same attitude as Jesus and then launches into this hymn, this song of praise about who Jesus is. And you see, hymns don't just, just teach us, they invite us to marvel and to worship um, and to feel it. So yes, there, there is a lot of teaching. We could unpack gold all day. It's so dense. But, but if that doesn't lead us to respond emotionally, uh, then we are missing out. When you read this hymn, marvel at who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Properly see Jesus, and, and you'll find that the only right response is to worship him. And that doesn't mean sing him a song or say thank you, say thank you and just you know, get back to our day tick. Um, God is greater than that. We are called to live our whole lives in thankfulness to the one who gave his life for us. We are called to give him all glory because our salvation is from him. In Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. We, we worship Jesus by, by living lives for him in thankfulness and, and not for us because our God is wonderful and he has done something truly wonderful for us in sending his son for us. Keep reading with me in verse 6. Jesus Christ, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus has it all. He's equal with God and he and God the Father are one. In Colossians, we see everything has been created through Jesus and for Jesus. All of creation or glory and power, it rightfully belongs to him, definitely not us. Um, but his desire is not for his own advantage. He's not looking to himself. Uh, contrast that with, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, the snake is, is trying to tempt them into eating this fruit on the tree that God has forbidden. And he says, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve want to be like God, and, and there's certainly a little bit of that in us. Uh, it sounds a bit like selfish ambition and conceit to me, 
Um, We all have this same desire to want glory and praise and power for ourselves. And we hide it and and it shows in different ways, but um, I think it is always there. Well, thankfully, Jesus is not like this. What does he do instead? Verse 7, instead he empties himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He empties himself. How mind-boggling that the one who has everything would give up everything in the interests of others. Jesus gives up power, glory, even his life, but he doesn't stop being God. Um, in, In the Gospel, Mary, you might know the Christmas story, Mary gives birth to a son and names him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is clear in John 10 that he and the Father are one. Okay, but we also see, on the other hand, from the Gospels, that Jesus eats and sleeps and is tempted and, and has to pray to God in complete dependence. He continues to humbly depend on God throughout his earthly life. Jesus leaves behind his glory, but not his deity. He is still God. And Jesus' humility continues to show itself. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus tells us, I'm lowly and humble in heart. And we see that from his ministry, but most clearly we see it on the cross. Jesus shows us who God is, and God is humble beyond our understanding. So this song of praise, it paints two really different pictures of Jesus, doesn't it? A quality with God, all the way down to a humble servant of humanity. There's no illustration that that can do it justice, but it's helpful to think about. So Ed Sheeran, the singer... Um, he's playing a concert in Sydney this Friday, but imagine he cancels his show, refunds all the tickets, and, and you hear later it's because his neighbour needed help in the garden. It's, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Um, let's make it more ridiculous. Ed Sheeran cancels his show because there's some ants on his driveway who are going to get rained on. He needs to make a tiny gazebo to go over their ant hill. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's, it's crazy, but I want us to grasp how high Jesus was and how low He becomes for us when he humbles himself. Nothing else compares. Lord over all creation, now a human. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is arrested, um, he knows what's coming. He'll be mocked, beaten, deserted, tortured, crucified, and killed. He is sweating blood. He's terrified. But still he doesn't look to himself. He looks to the interests of others. We see he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is obedient to the will of God, no matter the cost. Thankfully, that's, that's not the end. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For this reason, for Jesus' humility and obedience, he's exalted by God the Father. We see throughout the Bible that, that God opposes the proud but exalts the humble. And here we see it most clearly. Jesus is restored to his rightful place. And he's given the name above every name. And we see in verse 11, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right now, not every knee bows before Jesus. And right now, not everyone calls him Lord. And the day that Jesus returns to judge is too late to look to him and worship. There are many who will bow before him, but not by choice. Instead, they will be humbled by God's righteous judgment. They will be separated from him. It will not be joyful for them when they confess that Jesus is Lord. But those who already follow Jesus as their Lord will be exalted with him 
and will worship him joyfully in heaven, united with God and his people for all eternity. So Jesus, Jesus calls all of us, he calls all of us to look to him, see the beauty of the cross and worship him. If we walk away from today with, with a list of things to work on, then I think we're still looking inward at ourselves and we've missed the point. Um, but it, it can be helpful to think a little bit practically about what worship and humility practically look like. Firstly, what are the interests of others that we should look for? Well, for Jesus, practical love and hospitality go hand in hand with spiritual encouragement. We can't neglect one or the other, but as we are shaped by the spirit that Jesus gives us, our desires become like his. Do you remember Paul's prayer back in Philippians 1? He prays that their love will keep on growing in knowledge so that they would be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. May we love and pray for one another in the same way. Secondly, is, is it selfish to still look after ourselves? Well, no, it's, it's wise and godly to rest and to care for ourselves. It reminds us that we aren't God and it acknowledges that He is God when we rest. We see we are finite beings with limits. We were made by God to need and enjoy rest. And we were also designed to enjoy the bodies, minds, relationships, and the world God has given us. Looking after ourselves helps us to serve God and one another better. But our motivation matters. When we become a follower of Jesus, our life's goal can no longer be our own comfort. And so we need to keep looking to Jesus. Thirdly, what, what really is worship? Well, it, again, it has to start with looking to Jesus away from ourselves, who reveals the beauty and humility and greatness of God. The more we see Jesus, the more we understand and treasure God's infinite worth and beauty. Understanding, enjoying, and treasuring God is, is worship. And everything we do out of thankfulness to Him is worship. Everything we do to praise Him and make Him known is worship. And so we need to keep, keep looking to Jesus. It's not, it's not one quick look and, yep, I'm all good. Um, I'm never going to think of myself again. No, we need to be reminded all the time of the beauty of God. We see it in God's world that he made, uh, in the people that he made, in the unity of the church, of God's people. We see the beauty of God in his word. And most of all, we see it in his son who died for us. So if it, wasn't, if it wasn't clear from before, I'm still a work in progress. I still care too much what people think of me, um, and I, I can be proud and envious, but I'm so thankful to Jesus, who loves me enough to call me away from the misery and futility of a life spent focused on myself. Uh, time and time again, he has shown me the humility and the beauty of God. He has forgiven me, and he's slowly transforming me by the work of his spirit who dwells in me so that I may joyfully serve him and his people as I wait for eternity. Now, I want to leave you with a beautiful picture of what Paul hints at in Philippians 2. It's, it's God's people unified in worship to Jesus, the Lamb of God. So Revelation 5 uh, from verse 11 it says, Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. 
I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honour and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have shown us your beauty, humility and greatness in Jesus. Help us to look to Jesus that we may be captivated and worship him and that our lives would be lived in thankfulness for the good of your church and for your glory. Amen.